Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Calvary. Again, if this is your first time, we're, we're, we're so glad that you've joined with us. My name is Pastor Bobby, and normally I'm, I'm, I'm up here singing, but today I get the privilege of bringing the teaching. And, and for those of you who, again, who are new, last week we were talking about it, we started this series called Heroes of the Faith, and Pastor Michelle kind of kicked it off last week. And, and Heroes of the Faith, we're going to go through this for the next like six weeks or so, which leads us literally right into our Christmas series which is just, I don't know if I should say that out loud or not. It makes me a little excited, maybe. It's, dark, it's already dark, it's already cold. Mine as well, put up our Christmas lights, no? Mine as well. Um, and so we're gonna be going through this series. And in this series, Heroes of the Faith, is not going to be about the headliners, characters, and scriptures that maybe we're, we're used to in the Moses or the David, but what we're looking for are some of those secondary characters, and we're gonna go through their stories and how it is that they served God, how it is that they were faithful. Pastor Michelle had kind of a quote that we're gonna, we're gonna use here. Um, Heroes of the faith are ordinary people who make a difference because they said yes to doing the right thing. That's literally all it takes to be a hero of the faith, is just saying yes to the right thing, whatever it is that God might have been asking you or these, these characters in Scripture that we're going to go through. And we have a theme verse that we're going to go through as well. And so let's read this together. You guys just sit down, but would you stand up just for a second? Let's just read it. I know, we have an up and down. I'm making, I'm making it, but we're just get our bodies moving a little bit. But a theme verse, I think it's just really good. When we stand, we can use our, our whole bodies to, to declare this kind of scripture together. So let's read this, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, you may be seated. <laughs> that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I, I, this is a verse that really does just resonate with me all the time. As you say yes to something that God is asking you to do, people will see it. Maybe it's because you prayed for them. Maybe it's because of how you cared for them. Maybe it's because of just how you loved in that moment, but you were faithful. And when they see it, they don't see how humble you are. They don't see how good you are. They don't see any of those things because of how you do it. Their eyes are just pointed to Christ in the midst of it. So it's not that we're doing these good deeds so that we can receive the reward, it's that we're doing them to be faithful, and when we do them, people's eyes are pointed to Christ. And so we're gonna go through stories like this, and we're gonna be explaining things like this. And so we also have like a nomination uh, kind of wall out there. You'll see it when you walk into the church if you come in from that direction. And what we want you guys to do is to think of who are those people in your life? Maybe they weren't the, the, the key headliners, but they were people that were faithful. And we want you to nominate them and to write down just that story and to put it in that ballot box. I was, I was sharing this story just at the circle time last week where it could be as simple as the heroes of the faith for me, like three ladies that kind of pop up into my mind right away is when I was 19, I started to serve God like a lot more intentionally. And so I started to come to pre-service prayer in Millbrook Church, just around the corner. And I would come early to church and there was these three ladies that were there every single week, just fervently praying, praying for people that weren't gonna be there and haven't been there for years and they were praying for them by name. They were praying for our pastors, they were praying for our church. And every single week that I showed up, they were saying yes to just the faithful call of being people of prayer and it radically changed my life. And they are heroes of the faith because they said yes to that. Something as simple as just showing up saying yes to those things. And so I want you to even just take that moment right now and just think of who is a person in your life. It could be a neighbor, it could be a friend, it, it could be a pastor, it could be a congregant, it could just be somebody that showed up, that said yes, maybe taught you something, prayed for you in a specific moment. I'm gonna ask you to do two things. One, 
I would say message them right away. What we want to do is we want to glorify God, but we want to honor them and encourage them. If you've ever received a message that said, man, when you did this that one time, it changed my life, and they are going to be encouraged by continuing to be faithful. So I would say, hey, message them. Tell them the impact that they had on your life, but also just write it down in that ballot box after service so that we can encourage more people just with those stories of people maybe even here from Calvary that are heroes of the faith. So we'll, we'll jump into this. I want to start off by just sharing two of my largest weaknesses. I feel like that's what you should do. You're going to stand in front of 350 people. Why not just share it all, all your weaknesses? So this would be probably what Kath would say is the top two. I'm sure there's a longer list. Uh, Kathleen's my wife in the front row, if I'm, I'm referencing to her. Um, two of them. But the thing is, is that they kind of combine with each other to make like an even stronger weakness. Um, and so... We'll see how many of you, and as you can see, I'm going to try to loop you in with me so I'm not alone. I'm probably not the only one. How many of you are the type of people who, and I'm going to choose my words like carefully, we don't lose things. We misplace things all the time. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Dave, Dave Lustig is with me. Thank you. Who is the type of person where it's like, yeah, you're just misplacing your things all the time? Is there a few of you? Am I literally the only one? A couple of you? Okay misplace them. We don't lose them because we'll find them eventually, but like we misplace them maybe even five or six times in the midst of that day, but we don't lose them. Um, Mr. Mel, if he's our, he's our, he's our uh, <laughs> I call him Mr. Mel because of my boys. He's the building manager here. You don't want to know, Mel, how many times I've lost my keys to this place in this building. Probably too many, but my, my work keys, my car keys, my wallet, my phone, Kathleen's work keys when I lose my work keys and I borrow her work keys, Kathleen's debit card when I lose my wallet and I just need a debit card because they're not going to take tap, whatever it might be, but I misplace them all the time. And, and, and the thing is, is this, the second biggest weakness is that I just, I really don't care about my things that much either. And I think that's probably why I do lose my stuff so often. Um, but for those of you who put your hand up, I think this is just the way that it works, is people like me almost always end up marrying people who stress so much when things are lost or missing. So the way that this works and compounds is that I misplace my phone, my keys, whatever it is. We're about to leave, and I say, oh, I, I have no clue where my phone is. My stress levels are fine. This means nothing to me. <laughs> this is just a daily occurrence. Kathleen's stress levels are already increasing, and she's worried because I don't have my phone. She's thinking of all the things that could possibly happen. And I say, let's just, let's fine, let's just go. I don't need my phone. I'll go the day without my phone. That does not bother me one bit. Or if I don't have my wallet, I can't find it, Kath's stress levels, I'm like, I'll just borrow yours. And now her stress levels are going up even more. It usually combines like that. But here's the thing, is, is the problem of not caring about my things is when I lose them, I can then now go like days without even trying to look for them. And the longer the time passes, then the harder it is to, to locate. You're not just thinking, okay, where have I been in the last hour? There's definitely moments where we've been, where have I been in the last week? And, and if it's my work keys, this building is very large, <laughs> and there could be many places. But the longer that you go, the harder it is to find, and really it's because my care level is probably not as high as it should be. Um, and so the scripture we're going to be jumping in today is really, which is crazy, is about a time in Israel's history where their care level of their relationship with their God had gotten so low 
They literally misplaced their scriptures. They didn't have them. They didn't need them. They didn't look for them. And and the, the character we're going to be talking about, King Josiah, literally stumbles upon the book of the law because their care level had gotten so low and the time had gone for so long that they didn't even really know where it is. And so we're going to jump into the character today, King Josiah. And so we're going to go uh, into 2 Kings chapter 22. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you guys to bring them. Um, Or if you have your phone or an app, you can open up to it. Um, We always encourage people, as we're going to read Scripture, to read along, to highlight, to to write some notes. Um, And if you don't have any of those, it will be on the screen as well. Don't worry. And so as you're turning to that, I just want to give really a a quick synopsis so that we know where we are, because we're jumping into a very specific time and place in history. And so when you're reading through the book of Kings, and maybe many of you haven't spent a lot of time in the book of Kings, here's what's happening. Israel has kind of just gone through like a civil war, to be honest, and so Israel, one nation, has now turned into two nations. And so we have northern Israel and we have southern Judah and they split off from each other. And when you read through the book of Kings, really you flip-flop between these two nations, and you just read about who their king was at that, at that moment. And the, the author would say, well, whether this king did evil in the sight of the Lord or um, did good in the sight of the Lord. And you really find out, was this a good king or was this an evil king? And really what it came down to was, did they follow the covenant that they had set with their ancestors? Did they allow idols and, and the other gods to kind of seep into their culture? Um, and, and did they just continue the covenant with God? And that was going to tell them whether or not they were a good or an evil king. So we have northern and southern, and we go through the book of Kings, and you, just, you hear about all of these different kings. Northern Israel goes literally 0 for 19. 0 for 19, all evil. 0 for 19, so much so that they actually just comes to their exile. Northern Israel completely gets taken over by the Assyrians. They get dispersed. They're all exiled. And the really cool thing is, is the next time that you really hear about them is when Jesus is walking to a well and he runs into a lady who is a Samaritan. And this is literally where the Samaritans came from. And he goes to the Samaritan woman and he brings her back into the family. And it's just this beautiful picture of where Northern Israel came from and Jesus inviting the Samaritans back into the story. And so then you have Southern Judah, the other half. And they did a little bit better. They go for eight for 20. Um, So less than 50% still. And so they would go decades. They would go centuries sometimes, not following the way of God. And where we find ourselves in this specific story, Josiah's king, and they have not been following God for about 50 years, two kings in a row, and then we come to Josiah. All right, so that's where we are in the story. I'm just going to, I have a bit of a cold, so I'm just going to take a sip of water, and then we're going to read through 2 Kings 22, and we're going to start with just verse 1 and 2. As we go through this scripture, I'm just going to stop, so we'll go every couple of scriptures and just kind of sit in a point, bring in a New Testament scripture, and then we'll, we'll work our way slowly through this story. So we have 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, and then we have 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3. 2 Chronicles also tells this story, and there was just one verse that talked about Josiah when he was 16 that just kind of filled in the gap for the 2 Kings story. So it goes like this. Josiah was eight years old. Eight years old. Willem, I have a son, nine years old. He became king at eight years old. Should not happen. (laughs) There would be TV for all. (laughs) iPad time for everybody. Nothing but recess at school. That's probably the things that I would picture my son declaring. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. 
He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. And then the third verse in the second Chronicles chapter. In the eighth year of his reign, so when he was 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. I just love this picture. Here we have this eight-year-old Josiah who's now king. And the only reason he became king was because his father, who has just become king two years before that, got assassinated. And his grandfather, who was in reign for 50 years, did evil in the sight of the Lord. His father, who was in reign for just those two years before he got assassinated, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so now we have this eight-year-old boy who all of a sudden has this kingship given to him. Like, what a wild start. What a wild start to your career. But then all of a sudden we get to this third verse where it talks about how when he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. 16 years, so he has eight years that we don't really have to worry about too much, but he's 16 years old. And what I picture is the 16-year-old young man who's really starting to take seriously, I think, at this moment. I'm, a, I'm gonna be king of this nation. How do I want to lead? Who do I want to be? I'm gonna step into this. And he's starting to take responsibility of it. And he doesn't look to his late father. He doesn't have him there physically, but he doesn't look to him because he did not do good in the sight of God. He, he can't look to his grandfather, who's also not there to, to speak with him. But he doesn't even look to him for an example because he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so what he does is he remembers from his ancestors, his great, great, great grandfather, David, and he knows that he was a great king. And so he sits and he thinks about what made David a great king. And what obviously made David a great king was that he sought after God all the time. And so 16-year-old Josiah is saying, what should I do? I want to be a good king. And he looks he looks to David. In this story, David is actually a secondary character. David is actually a hero of the faith because David sought after God, because David did good in the sight of the Lord. His great, 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 great grandkid looks to him and uses his example. And so he steps into it. How incredible. A teenage boy trying to take hold of his life starts to seek God on his own, and God absolutely reveals himself to him in this story. And so why? Why is Josiah a hero of the faith? Because King Josiah said yes to seeking after God. Some of these things that make people heroes of the faith are going to be very, very simple. All he did was say yes to seeking after God. In Acts 17, there's a New Testament verse that just, that just shows this really good. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all of the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Oh, that verse 27, his purposes were for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. God is waiting to be sought after, though he is not far from any of us. Kathleen and I get to hear stories often of just 
When, when you guys come to church, maybe for the first time, we have so many different stories every single week that people are just coming to church for the first time because in their own life, they have something going on and they just feel, which it is the spirit is just speaking to them, but they just have something going on in their life and they just feel like, ah, maybe I should return to church or maybe I should start seeking God. People who, who for some reason are thinking of, and it could be like in this story, a grandparent who served God faithfully and they're just looking to take some control in their life and so they look to someone who followed God and they just start seeking God on their own. Or maybe it's something traumatic that happened in someone's life and so their, their mind is being open to just different possibilities and they just start to seek God on their own. We have so many different people literally every single week just kind of finding their way to church because they're seeking God on their own and they don't know where to start and they may not know all of the answers yet, but they are seeking God. And I just want to tell you, if that's you this morning, he is not far. He's not far from any of us. And so in our seeking, he is near. So for some of you, you've been seeking for a little bit. And for some of you, you maybe are seeking right now, he is not far. And so what Josiah does to continue kind of the story, he doesn't really know what to do yet. And so he just thinks about maybe what would his ancestor David do? And so he started putting time and energy into kind of rebuilding the temple because it was just, it was a complete mess from his father and from his grandfather. And so he starts to put some time into it. So now we're on 2 Kings 22 and we're in nine, verse 9 to 11. And it says this, Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it from, from, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And then verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. They were literally doing some work around the temple and they just stumbled upon the book of the law. They stumbled upon it. The book of the law was supposed to be in this very specific spot, right? So the presence of God was just in this very specific room of this temple and the book of the law was gonna be there. The book of the law, a copy of it, was supposed to be next to the king's throne and that king was supposed to read it every single day so that as they led, it would be a part of who they are and they would know where they're going. Every single year, they would read it aloud to the entire nation. This was something that was supposed to be read all the time. You don't just lose it and they literally stumbled upon it. And so I can just picture this, this, this king, Josiah, who is seeking God, all of a sudden is sitting there and starts to hear the words from, from the book of the law. He's hearing the story of the covenant of God with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's hearing the story of how Israel was captive in Egypt and then they were set free and they crossed, you know, they crossed the Red Sea and they went into the desert and, and God gave them laws and, and created them into a nation and brought them into the promised land. He's hearing all of these things and he's realizing in that moment how far gone they are and how far they have come from any of these covenants. And he's realizing in that exact moment, and he is encountering God through that scripture in that exact moment. It's a powerful, it's a powerful picture. And so what he does is he, he tears his robes, and it's this mixture of this emotional, physical response. This is what happens when we can encounter God 
We have this physical response. There is something that you can actually do to respond. And he tears his robes because he is repenting in that moment for him and for his nation. And he's realizing and he's aware of just how far they've gone. Why is Josiah a hero? Because when King Josiah encountered God, he said yes to repentance. He encounters God for the first time and he says, I am willing to repent in this moment. We jump to a New Testament Scripture, Luke 5, 31 to 32, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Or John 16, seven to eight, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. And if I do go away, then I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. When we encounter God, we are made aware of our need for a savior. This is what happens when we step into the presence of God, we are just, we're made aware. Here Josiah is unaware for the last, his entire life, they haven't done any of these things and he hears the word of God and he encounters God and he's just moved to repentance. He's moved and understands that he is just in need of a savior. I think this is, like a difficult thing sometimes for us to process. We think of people possibly standing in their soapbox or just the, the, the type of people who are telling us what to do. You are in need of a savior. When we hear people saying that to us, we kind of have hardened hearts towards it. Not too many of us, just in our natural desire, say, I can't do this on my own. I need somebody else to save me. That's just not our natural tendency. But for some reason, as soon as we enter into the presence of God, we're just made aware of how much we are not in control. We are made aware of some of those dark areas in our life that we're hiding and pushing into the corner. And as soon as we encounter God, his light just shines and reveals all of it. And in that moment, when we encounter God, we are made aware, painfully made aware that we are in need of a savior. That's what happens. And so it's hard to kind of tell somebody they're in need of a savior. But for those of you who are maybe sitting in the room and have had that encounter before, when you're in the presence of God, you just, you just know it and it becomes a part of it and it leads us to repentance. When we encounter God, we are made aware of our need for a savior. And that's exactly what was happening to Josiah in that moment. So Josiah sought God and he encountered him just through the reading of scripture. I think that's what's just so beautiful about this story. The scripture was just being read and he encountered God through it. He became aware and started to turn from his ways. And so then we'll continue our story here. Second Kings 22, 12 to 13. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah, inquire about these words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll and we have not been doing everything it says we must do. Speak to the Lord, he says. After he encounters God, after he's in this most vulnerable time possible, he's repenting, he's realizing how far they are. What does he do? He says, I need to speak to the Lord more. Can you go inquire for me more about what's going on? Josiah is not just content with having the singular encounter with God, this moment where he encounters God for the very first time. 
He's, he's not okay with just leaving it there, but his next thing after repentance is, I need to know more. I need to speak to this God. I need to know what's going on, and I need to know where we need to lead. Why was Josiah a hero? Because in his vulnerability, Josiah said yes to drawing near to God. In that moment when you are kind of most vulnerable, you can just picture it, you're in the presence of God who now is shining a light on all of those areas in your life that you actually are not in control of, and you're just feeling very vulnerable, Josiah chooses to draw closer to God in that moment. He says, inquire, go talk to the Lord, I need to know, and he moves in closer. We jump to the New Testament, Luke 15, 20 to 24, the the picture of the prodigal son is always what comes to mind. And so the prodigal son had, had run away, spent everything, has no food, and is now realizing, is in that vulnerable moment, I have nothing. I am now aware that I am in need of my father and starts to walk home. And this is what happens. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost but now he is found, and so they began to celebrate. In our most vulnerable times, we need to draw near to him because he will draw near to us. That's what we're most nervous of, no? In those moments of vulnerability, of saying, shoot, you know everything about me, you know what I'm not in control of, you know those times of weaknesses, and so normally we try to just hide and step away, but if we step into that, if we draw near, what happens is that picture of the prodigal son, he sees him, He has compassion on him. Jewish fathers in that time would literally just never run. It wasn't a thing that they did. And he just starts running, doesn't care what people are gonna think about him and just wraps his arms around him and celebrates the finding of his lost son. That's what happens in those moments. When we draw near to him, when we're most vulnerable, I know it's scary, but he will draw near to us. So in our most vulnerable times, we need to draw near to him because he will draw near to us to us. And so Josiah sought God. And Josiah encountered God through scripture. He realized his desperate need of saving and how far they had come. He repents and draws in and inquires more about God. And so what happens is God speaks to the priest that he sent away. And he said, you know what? It is bad. God was saying it straight to them still. It's bad. And it's actually going to end bad. And so Southern Judah eventually you're gonna, you're gonna get overthrown by the Babylonians. But Josiah, because of your faithfulness, I will throw favor on you during your lifetime and speaks to him this message. And so that's, that's what he heard from him. And then we'll see kind of what Josiah does here. So now we're in 2 Kings 23, one to three. We're just slowly moving through this story. Then the king summoned all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king read to them this entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. He didn't just keep it for himself. He's literally gathered everybody, least to greatest. Come, I'm going to read it to you. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar 
and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, laws, and decrees with all of his heart and his soul. In this way, he confirmed all of the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and all of the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So Josiah encounters the love of God through scripture, moved to commit his life. He's reminded of the covenant that was made as he was reading this law and the covenant that they made. And he realizes we cannot go back to our old ways. We can't do it. And so I am going to decide today to commit for me and for the nation. I'm going to recommit to this covenant completely. We actually had a great picture of this last week. I'm not sure if Kim's here this week, but we had a great picture of it when we had a baptism service last week and Kim got baptized. It's this incredible thing that happens. And it's again, one of those things when something spiritual happens, but we can show something physical. And so Kim is here saying, I am not going to, I've, I've sought God and I've encountered God. And I've had a moment where I was just so aware in my need of saving. And she turns and she says, I'm not going back to my old life. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stand up and I'm going to commit. And I'm gonna do it in front of other people because these other people will hold me accountable, but because these other people are also going to walk through it with me. And it is so powerful when people commit. Why is Josiah a hero? Josiah made the decision, decision to commit to commit his life to seeking God more. So he sought God once, encountered him, repented, and now he's committing to just do that all over again. I'm gonna continue seeking this God in every single thing that I do. That's literally all it takes to be a hero of the faith. When Kim was up there last week sharing her story, we, I know this, not specifically because of Kim's story, but because it happens every baptism service. When we hear their story, when we see them standing up, making that commitment, people here are going to be looking to Kim and saying, wow, like I am now encouraged to do that as well. I am now encouraged after I heard your story to continue to seek God. That's all it takes to be a hero of the faith. Commitment changes that singular encounter with God into a decision to continually seek. So you can have had an encounter with God, but when you stand up here and you say, I'm going to commit, what you're committing to is that I'm going to continually keep seeking. That's not just gonna be a one-time thing. When Josiah had that opportunity where he encountered God, he said, I'm gonna stand up in front of everyone, even though it might be hard, and we are going to continue to do this. We're gonna continue to look to God in everything that we do. And so if you look at these four kind of things that Josiah shows us, seeking led to encountering, encountering led to repenting, then repenting led to committing, and committing just leads you right back up to the top to seeking more. If you're sitting here today and you've committed before, and I know there's quite a few of us here that have, have made a decision to be baptized and we committed our life before God, we are always seeking and we are always encountering God and we are continually repenting, I promise you. And that just leads us to always just committing our life to him yet again. The more I read scripture, the more I just love God and commit my life to him. The more that I encounter God through worship, the more I just want to seek him more. And it's just this cycle that happens. It's not a one-time event. That's what discipleship is. There are definitely firsts in all of these things, which are just so important. And for some of you, you maybe are still looking for your first time to seek God. Maybe your first time to really encounter God. Maybe you are looking for that first time to repent. I remember for me, it was when I was 19. I had specific moments in my life, but I had one specific moment at an altar 
It was during a service, and I was 19 years old, and I had just the most honest time where I fully allowed God to reveal just all of those areas, and I said, I really am in need of a Savior, and it radically changed my life, and it led me to just dive right into my Bible even more because I just wanted to seek more and encounter more because that's what happens in discipleship. The difference between walking through the cycle the first time, though, and walking through the cycle the second and third and fourth time after you commit is that when you've committed, you're compelled to, when you come back to that seeking, when you're committed, you are compelled to bring others along with you. And that's why discipleship is not done on your own. And so after you go through that the first time and you say, you know what, I'm going to commit to go and seek God again, you're just compelled to bring other people with you. You look at Josiah, he didn't just say, oh yeah, I'm going to now read this book alone next to to my throne and it's gonna guide my decisions. No, he stood up in front of everybody and he said, we are all going to. Now he had authority to probably say this, maybe more than we do in our neighborhoods or in our classrooms. We are going to now seek God together. But when you commit and you go back to seeking, you just want to bring others with you and that's exactly what Josiah did. He didn't do it alone. He brought everyone, and I love that verse. He brought everyone from the least to the greatest. This was a message that wasn't just for the higher-ups, for the priests, for the kings, but everybody from the least to the greatest, and he just read that scripture that radically changed his life for everyone that was there. And so what's here for us? Band, if you wanna wanna come up, we can close. What's here for us today from this scripture, from this hero? Maybe I, I bring it back to... Yeah, that's a simple story about losing things, but maybe for those of you who are here and your care level for your relationship with God has just gotten so low that at one point you just kind of misplaced it, but now it's been some time and you haven't really thought about it in a while and you're trying to retrace your steps. Start seeking today. Maybe that's your first step. Just start seeking God today because I promise you, he is not far. For those of you that are here today, And maybe you are seeking, maybe you're new, maybe you've been here for a little while, but you're still seeking that encounter with God. He is not far. Keep pressing in. Today could be the day that you encounter him in that specific way for the first time. For those of you here that have encountered God but haven't made that commitment, we've been talking about baptism the last couple weeks because we were just kind of promoting the service that we had, but we want you to make that commitment because I'm telling you, it's, you are telling people that are around you, you are telling yourself, you are telling God, I am committing to seeking you even more and I'm gonna continue to do that. And maybe today, for those that have actually sought and encountered God, you need to make that commitment and that is your next right step today. And for those that are around me that are the already committed, always be reminded, who is that person that you have influence in your life of? Kids, neighbors, classmates, teachers, you just have those opportunities. As you continue to seek, because you committed to do so, who is it that you are bringing with you? As you seek God, do it in a way that people can actually see what you're doing and their eyes can be pointed to Christ. That's what it is. As we do those things, as we love and as we care and as we serve, those that are around us that we have influence over, their eyes are pointed to Christ. And then they start seeking and then they start encountering and then they repent and then they start to commit and then they bring more people along with them. And so we're just gonna take a moment here today as we do at the end of services to just take some time to whether we're in any of those categories, 
to let's all seek God in this moment. Let's all just take a moment where we're just listening to hear his voice, where we're praying specific things that are happening in our life. Maybe we're repenting yet again for the hundredth time because that's what we're gonna keep on doing. And we're just allowing God into all of our life. And so would you stand if you're able? And we're just gonna head into a moment where we're just gonna sing a song of worship. But I really just wanna use this scripture today to just speak to each of us wherever we might be And so you have time before you need to get your children. You have time before we have to get back to our everyday life, whatever that might look like, that we have set aside to seek and to encounter God. And so I encourage you guys, would you step into that just for a few moments as we sing together?